a preferential rating, one that allocates rights to goods and services, usually in limited supply. Something like uh, that project has top priority. Or something given or meriting attention before completing alternatives. And that definition is the one that this scripture applies to tonight. This is the one we're going to look at. Something given or meriting attention before completing alternatives. What do we do in our lives instead of what God is calling us to do? In other words, what do we give attention to in our lives that is not a priority for God? How do we misapply priorities in our life? What do we do instead of, instead of what God's calling us to do? Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, genuine faith in God recreates a prompt obedience. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. There was an immediate response to the command. And this, this quote by Spurgeon, I've, I've used and I've heard used many times, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And he goes on, Spurgeon goes on to say, I wish some Christians who put off duty would remember this. Continued delay of duty is continuous sin. If I do not obey the divine command, I sin. And listen to, the, listen to how he puts it now. And every moment that I continue in that condition, I repeat the sin. This is a serious matter, he writes. If a certain act is my duty at this hour and I leave it undone, I have sinned. But I, it will equally be incumbent upon me during the next hour. And if I still refuse, I disobey again and so on until I do obey. Wow. So delayed obedience is disobedience. What are we putting off? What are we giving attention to other than what God wants us to give attention to. The message of the book of Haggai is twofold. The first part is a rebuke to the people for misplaced priorities. And we can all relate to misplaced priorities, not even, not, not even in spiritual things, but even in you know, the, the physical realm, in, in, in our workplace, in our home life, if we don't prioritize things, we wind up getting it all out of order. We wind up doing things that are really not a priority at the expense of those things that are important. So how much more in spiritual things are we need, are, do we need to place our priorities in the correct order? And the second part of this book speaks of the great promise of God and an assurance that his glory would return to the temple. So the first part, more of a rebuke against the people for misplaced priorities. But, but then it gets turned around and we'll see that the next time we get together. A little history the prophet Haggai was living during and after, after the captivity of the Jews by the Babylonians, 
which began around 605 B.C. In 587 B.C., the temple was destroyed and the city of Jerusalem taken. He writes this book sometime after the Jewish people returned in 538 B.C. Haggai is to give a message to the people from God. They've experienced hard times since their return to the land, and the main reason is because they had their priorities wrong. So they experienced difficulties because they were disobedient in delaying what God had called them to do. The prophets at that time had a challenge. They had to give a message to people who at one time depended way too much on ceremony and traditions instead of a true relationship with God. And after their return from captivity and being influenced by a pagan culture in Babylon, the prophets now had to speak to a people who disregarded their heritage because they were, remember they were in captivity for 70 years. So they lost all of those traditions and the heritage and the ceremony and the religious practices. So now they disregarded all of those things that previously they felt were bringing them favor with God. And they started to believe that nothing mattered what they did. That God wouldn't really take a view one way or the other as to what they did. They became influenced by the culture around them and then they brought that mindset back into Israel when they were, when they were brought back into the land. And you know, we usually fall into one of those two categories before we're saved. Either we're caught up in ceremony and traditions, maybe in a religious system, or we think that nothing we do, we do matters to God. And I know we're probably in one, one boat or the other before we're saved. I know I was, I was kind of a little bit of both. I was certainly caught up in traditions and believing that my relationship with God was through the traditions and the ceremonies and through the church and that that individual personal relationship really wasn't there. And then I also had this, this sense that God really didn't care what I did, that it really didn't matter to him. I, I really honestly didn't give it much thought. So I had a little bit of both before I came to the Lord. The Israelites, when they returned to the land, began enthusiastically rebuilding the temple. Remember, that was where they worshipped the Lord. And, and it was destroyed during that 70-year captivity. So when they returned, there was a sense that we need, to, we need to rebuild the temple. We need to get back to have a place where God can dwell, where we can go and worship. And so it started off real well. But soon... They became apathetic, and, and the work stopped. In fact, the work stopped for 16 years. So something must have just hit them. Maybe, um, you know, they just got tired. But the scripture in this book actually tells us what happened. And it can happen to any of us. We can get distracted. We can misplace our priorities. And we can walk away from God's work. In the time that the work stopped, the people became preoccupied with their own lives and neglected the things of God. And we can come, become distracted by our own desires and neglect the things of God. How many times 
Do we put off doing the Lord's work in favor of our own needs? Now, the basic message of this book is not about the rebuilding, the physical rebuilding of the temple, but it's about the priorities in their lives and the priorities in our, in our daily lives. So we can certainly learn from their experience. And can we understand the desire for God to bless us and how we can actually stand in the way of that blessing? God won't remove his love from us, but we may miss out on a blessing that he has for us if we become too preoccupied with the things of this world. Before we jump into Haggai, I want to just refer to a scripture that speaks of this time of the rebuilding of the, of the temple. Can you put up Ezra 3? Ezra 3 Verse 10, it said, The work started gloriously. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Vaseph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. They had a worship service. According to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They had a celebration at the rebuilding, at the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple. They had a worship service. They sang and, and played instruments and, and, and shouted praises unto him because God was going to dwell in that place once more. They could go and they could worship. They could Get, bring the sacrifices and they could continue that relationship that was lost for all those years in captivity. But then, because of their preoccupation with their own lives, the work stopped after just two years. And then it laid idle for 14 more years. So, as we jump into Haggai, we start to see a call to action by the Lord in verses 1 and 2. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So speaking through Haggai, the Lord says, these people are saying that it's not my timing for them to rebuild the house. If this is a reproof or a rebuke to the Jews for their apathy, in not rebuilding the temple, for neglecting the things of God. You know, they came back from captivity, they started off real well, and then they sinned because they put God's work on hold. Many times, to make application to us, many times our sin is not out-and-out -out defiance, but just 
Wait, God. Just hold on, God. I have a lot of other things to take care of right now. And then look at verse 2. They actually made their excuse sound spiritual. They said, it's not God's timing to rebuild the temple. How often do we do that, too? It's just just not God's timing for me to do the work of the Lord. But is it? You know, we need to be careful that we are hearing from the Lord in those things and that we are responding in obedience to what he's calling us to do. Now, there are times where God says, wait, and we don't want to get ahead of God. And those revelations come to you through prayer, through reading of the word, through confirmation from other people who are godly, who, who, um, who also are seeking God's will in that. And so all of those things come together for you to understand what God's will is for your life. And there are many times God will say, no, not, th- not at this time. And that's okay. Because certainly if it's God's will for it to be delayed, then it isn't sin. It isn't disobedience. But many times it isn't. Then in verses 3 through 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. He says this twice in these verses. In verse 5 and again in verse 7. Consider your ways. If I hear that from the Lord through prayer, Paul, consider your ways. It would bring fear into my life. What a... God... Okay, I need to consider my ways. This is serious stuff. So God is saying through the prophet, consider your ways. The Lord uses the prophet to let the people know that he doesn't accept their excuse for disobedience. See, like us, they were waiting for a convenient time to do his work. In verses 2 and 3, it says... You know, again, they gave the excuse that the time has not come. And that, that they were actually rebuilding their houses and letting the temple stand in ruins. Their priorities were mixed up. They found time to build paneled houses. And these, these were not just shacks. These were expensive, using you know, beautiful woods, and, and they were, they were you know, uh, exquisite homes that they were building. They take, took a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of, a lot of money to build these homes. So the prophet's telling us here that they didn't just build a place to live. They built beautiful, ornate homes and allowed God's, God's work to go uh, to, to be idle. They weren't considering God's priority in their life. They decided to take care of their own needs before considering God's needs. So he says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Definition, Webster's definition of consider, to think about carefully. To think especially with regard to taking some action. 
So consider. They returned to the land influenced by the culture instead of being an influence on the culture. Now, of course, they were in captivity. It was difficult for them. But they could have maintained their relationship with the Lord throughout that. And they seemed to maintain it when they returned back into the land of Israel. But it didn't last. And I think we should take heed to that. Not allowing our culture to be an influence on us, but to influence others for the kingdom of God. Not to put God's work on the back burner, so to speak, while we take care of our own business, because that's what the world would do. And the excuses that they gave may sound like some excuses we would give today. While doing some research on this, I found a commentary by Pastor Dave Gruzik, and this is what he says. These are some of the excuses, in, more in today's language, that they were giving. They said, we can't get much done at the temple, and I'm tired of living in a wreck. Time to start the remodel at home. Or, God wants me to give attention to the things at home. Home comes first. Or, I would fund more construction at the temple, but all my money is tied up with my home renovation. Or, someone should get to work on the temple. <laughs> I like that one. I hope someone steps up to the job. I've got to finish paneling my living room. And how about this one? The temple hasn't been open for business for well more than 50 years. A little while longer won't matter. And then, this isn't the right time. Later will be better. So, the excuses they gave 2,500 years ago, if we just put them in today's language, I'm sure we can recognize excuses that we've given, too, to put off God's work. And in verses 6 and 7, it says, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to be put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So again, the second time he says, consider your ways. Why? Why? Because they figured that if they put their efforts into their own desires and needs and rebuilding their own lives back in the land, that everything would fall into place, that God would bless it, and that everything would be fine. They had this misconception of what God's will was for their lives. And he tells them that it's not the way it worked out. You've sown much, and you brought in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled. What he's saying here is all of the work and effort and time that you put into your own needs, your own desires, your own lives, they don't satisfy. They're temporary. You earn wages and they're put into bags with holes. It's, it's all going to waste. All of this stuff that you're doing. They found out that whatever we receive in this life, if it's at God's expense, 
If it's at the expense of his will and his desire, it's useless. And you know, that's a hard thing to consider because there's a lot of really good things that we can do in this life. There's a lot of very profitable things that we can do. And certainly, there's a balance there in our life. You know, not to neglect everything about our own needs. You know, the Bible also says that if a man doesn't work, a man won't eat. So there's definitely a balance that we need to apply to our lives. But consider this, the Lord says. Consider this. You are putting all of your efforts into the things of this world, and you're putting my work, my will, to the side. Consider your priorities, God's saying. What are you doing instead of God's work? You'll never be content, no matter how much effort you put into the things of this world, if you're doing it at the expense of what God wants from your life. You'll continue to partake in those things, continue to partake. You'll never be satisfied. And the call to action from God, consider your ways. Consider your priorities. Do we delay and stall while we finish our own business? Um, I think up on the screen you're going to see Luke 9. There it is. Luke 9. Verse 57 through 62 says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. So good intentions, right? And then he says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my own house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying here? Is he telling the man to let his father lay dead and not take care of his final preparation? No. He's telling him this is an example for him to, to, to tell them to prioritize their life. See, it was a common saying at that time when it says, let me bury my father what it really meant was, let me wait until my father dies and I get my inheritance, and then I'll be financially secure, and then I'll be able to do the work of the Lord. That's what the man was, was telling Jesus. So Jesus, sort of in his, you know, in his way of really giving a hard message, said, let the, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the spiritually dead who are giving priority to the things of this world. Let them take care of the worldly things. You are spiritually alive. Take care of eternal things. Prioritize your life so that you give first place to the things of God. 
And this is the true cost of being a disciple. This is the true cost of being a follower of Jesus, that we put our own things on hold and take care of God's will in our lives, if that's what he's calling us to do. And there have been instances in my life that I haven't done that. There have been instances in, that, in my life that I've put God's work on hold and I've taken care of my own things. And Claire will attest to that. But you know, God works it all out. I mean, it's not that, it's not that you, he doesn't, he doesn't turn away from you because of those things. But you certainly will lose out on some blessings. You certainly will miss out on some of the things that God has for you here and now if this is when he's calling you to action. So in verses 8 through 11, back to Haggai, the call to action to rebuild the temple continues. He says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, and on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. So you see here that God's response to their delayed obedience and their disobedience is to remove blessings from them. Now think about it. Already the temple was destroyed. They were out of the land for 70 years. Already they were they, they were missing that, that presence of God. Already they were, they were lacking that relationship that they had before. They should have been eager to just continue in that work to rebuild the temple and get back to that relationship. But God convinces them eventually. He convinces them. But I wanted you to look also at the simplicity of this temple as compared to the luxury of Solomon's temple with its gold and its cedar. And, and he, tells, he tells us here that they just, to go up, up to the mountains, remember the land was, was empty for 70 years. Everything had regrown. The forests were refilled with trees. There were, there were numerous trees to find. So they, he just says, go up to the mountains and bring wood. Build a temple out of wood. It doesn't matter. And I love this about the, this part of the, of the chapter that we may sort of overlook if we quickly go by it, and that is, to God it's not about the outward appearance. To God it's not about the outside, but about the heart. Remember, he said that man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart, the Bible says. So again, God's blessings being withheld because of disobedience, but being poured out in abundance when he's glorified. And when we put him first, he's glorified. One more scripture that I want to go to in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, it says, Therefore do not worry, saying, 
What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So you see, God does not want us to remain destitute just so we can accomplish the work that he's put before us. That's not his desire. God wants to bless us because of our obedience to him. But again, it's, it's a matter of perspective because what do we consider being blessed? What do we consider as our needs? And especially living in the United States with so many advantages, our needs are, are probably a lot higher than what's really necessary. See, he's talking here about your basic needs. God's going to provide. Seek his kingdom. Do his will. Make him the priority. And he'll provide all these things, all your needs to you. Then to finish up in Haggai, in verses 12 through 15, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. You know, unfortunately... Sometimes it takes the removal of God's blessing or protection in our lives to get our attention. Sometimes we can get our priorities so misplaced that God will remove that from us. And we need to be attentive to that. We need to realize that if this is why God's blessings are being removed, then I need to... I need to get to the work of the Lord. And the people finally realized it. They responded. Two things that we see in these verses as we close up that I feel are very encouraging to us. First of all, the people responded in repentance and action quickly. We can be encouraged by that because although we mess up and we put our needs in front of God's many times throughout our lives. We eventually, we'll get it. If we are seeking the Lord, if we are in His Word, if we are continually in prayer, He's going to speak to us in those things. We're going to eventually realize where we've gone wrong. And then we can respond. We can re respond in repentance. And the second thing is that God reminds us in verse 13, that he is with us. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, 
I am with you, says the Lord. How many times do we think that when we mess up, when we delay in our obedience, or when we sin, that God is no longer with us? That God has abandoned us? But that's not true. That's encouraging to us. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He, he waits. When we sin, when we are disobedient, when we delay, he waits patiently. He's long-suffering. And he waits for us to repent. And then what does he do? He forgives us, just like it never happened. So the awesome grace of God as believers as we just go through this life, and this walk is never just a straight path. This walk has the ups and downs and the twists and turns. It has times of, of you know, just obedience and walking in God's ways and those times where we turn aside to the left or to the right. And, you know, we just mess up. We just mess up sometimes. But God's grace covers it all. We just need to recognize it and repent. And I love in verse 14 that it says... The Lord inspired the leaders and the people to resume the work. It says the Lord stirred up the spirit, stirred up the spirit. That's what we need. We need to have our spirits stirred up to continue the work of the Lord, to resume the work of the Lord, or to start that work. So always be seeking for the spirit to speak to you to see when and where and how he wants you to do his will and then respond quickly. So the lessons in part one, delayed obedience is disobedience. The second lesson, the Lord will be faithful to rebuke us for our disobedience. And three, the Lord is always waiting for us to repent so then he can bless our obedience. And then, fourthly, allow God to stir us up to service. Allow him to stir us up in our hearts to the task that he places before us and then be obedient to that task's task. A lot of good lessons, a lot of real practical things that we see in the prophet's word to the people and to us. So, next week, God willing, God's glory returns and the blessings that he promises to his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.